prepared something. And man, in your mind, it just made sense until you got up to say it. And all of a sudden, you're lost in the middle. That's what I felt like last Wednesday night. So if I need to apologize for that, fine. That, we'll let God take it and use it however he wants to. There are a couple of announcements. I guess after the service tonight, they do need help setting up tables for the uh, sportsman's banquet. And they just remind you that that's at 5.30 Saturday. We are going to open the doors at 5 o'clock. It would be good to have some of our folks here that are not busy upstairs just to greet people. So if you can sneak out of the house a little early and come and just be friendly, that's easy. And as, as the guests come in, then uh, that would be appreciated. So I made those announcements. Let's have a word of prayer real quick and we'll get into the word of God here. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that as we are going to look at this scripture tonight, that you understand the culture and the times that we find ourselves in. And Father, we see that you have given us all that we need to be successful in your eyes, to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for those resources that you have for us in your word and in your church. And we just pray that we may be aware and be bold to reach this lost world with your message of salvation. And we'll thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, John 17. I know there's been going some preaching or Sunday school teaching through John, so I'm not going to go too much in it. I just want to read a familiar portion. John 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And the reason it's one of my favorite chapters is in John 17... In the context, you see at the beginning, in the upper room, after he had taught the disciples some things, the Lord Jesus just closes his eyes, bows his head, and starts praying. And if you read that prayer, you'll find out that he's praying for you and I. And I want to begin reading with verse 11, and we'll read through verse 19. But here's part of that prayer. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction." that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things that speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I was not of the world. 
Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And he says it again in verse 19, that they may also, that also they may be sanctified in truth. And I just want to pick up on verse 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. I think theologically, we understand that, you know, God's word is true. But how does that work itself out practically in our everyday life? We hear the statement a lot today as we try to talk to people about religion, about our faith, share our testimony, talk about uh, the things the word of God teaches us are right or wrong. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase that, well, that may be truth for you, but it's not necessarily truth for me. If you look at the morality of all culture today, there's a lot of shades of gray. There's not much black and white. And when we see it in our culture, same-sex unions are recognized nationwide. The concept of creation is not allowed to share space with the unsupported theory of evolution. And I know when I was back in school, they always said theory of evolution. They've dropped the theory, but it's not never, ever, ever been proven a scientific fact because it can't be, because it's not. But they don't let us teach creationism along the side of it in our schools anymore. The Ten Commandments have long been removed from the public arena. And Christmas is now winter break. And as we look at the Word of God, a lot of what we are experiencing here is eerily similar to what the apostles faced in the first century. We may be a post-Christian culture, but they were a pre-Christian culture. And there's some real similarities if we look in the book of Acts, disciples Peter and John were marginalized. They were called, well, you are unlearned men. And we'll look at that in a little bit. Because they relied on the Bible for what they were teaching in the synagogue. Today, believers are accused of committing intellectual suicide if we take our Christian faith into a secular college campus and try to hold on to those truths. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, some Christian college campuses will do the same thing. And they're telling us that we leave our brains at the door. What I find as I look at that pre-Christian response in our in, in in the culture we're in, and we're going to see this in a little bit in Acts chapter 4, was the response is different. The response to those attacks are different. Peter and John challenged their culture with the truth of the Word of God. We tend to conform to our culture. They embrace God's sovereignty in the midst of persecution. We tend to question it. 
Peter and John thought it was a privilege to suffer for the name of Christ. And oftentimes, unfortunately, we view it as punishment. Here's some examples that, of some books I've been reading and examples that pastors who wrote these books give me. One pastor was leading a Bible study for college-age young people, and he was going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And they came to chapter 5. And you know in chapter 5, that's where Paul exposes the sin of uh, the man who was in an illicit relationship with his mother-in-law. And do you know what the biggest concern of those young people were? It wasn't the behavior of the man. Their biggest objection as he taught was the fact that Paul had the audacity to suggest that the Christians remove this man from their congregation. And their reasoning was, well, we have no right to judge anybody. And they all agreed the behavior of the man in the text was wrong, but Paul was wrong in having him removed from the church. And you would probably not be surprised to find that if you did stuff like that with a secular group. Another pastor was preaching through John 14. Where And in John 14, the Lord clearly declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And after he preached the message, he had folks come up to him and chastise him for thinking and saying that Jesus Christ was the only way to get to heaven. How could he be so narrow-minded? That's the culture we live in. And you see, a lot of Today, our culture sifts all religious discussions through the calendar of religious relativism. They're all just kind of the same. They shift it to tolerance. We've got to be tolerant of everything that is around us today, except those who disagree. And philosophical pluralism, and and we won't go into that too much tonight, but Uh, It's an interesting look. And this leads to the statements that we hear a lot of times. Well, we all worship the same God or all religions are same or we're all on there. All the religions are on the same road, just a different way to get to God. And you see, Scripture declares truth as different. Our culture does not want to believe in an absolute truth, that we have access to the truths of God through the revelation of the Word of God that He left us. We believe in God's revelation of Himself and His Word, the Bible, that we have absolute truth. And if you say that in the public arena, there's bound to be someone to come up to you and say, There is no absolute truth. And by making that statement, he has just proven the truthfulness of that statement. But we live in that culture. And Peter and John in Acts 4 were not just, I believe, first century believers 
harassed by an antagonistic culture. I actually believe as we look at that, that yes, that was true, but I believe they serve as a model for us and how to respond to the culture we find ourselves in. And we're just going to look at one incident tonight because that's all I have time for. But see if you don't agree with me. So you know the story. Peter and John, they're preaching in the synagogue. The Jewish religious leaders were there and the political leaders were there. And they didn't like the fact that they were doing that. And so they called Peter and John in, questioned their authority to do what they were doing, and released them with the instructions not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And you know the story. They went back to the believers and said that in order not to offend these leaders and the population, they would change the message to be more accommodating and accepting. Is that what happened? No. But let's be honest. Do we see that happen in a lot of religious arenas today? Yes. Peter and John continued to boldly continue preaching in Jesus' name. And really, it was the Jesus' name part that got them. They didn't mind them preaching. Folks, today, if you're willing to take Jesus out of your preaching, they'll sit and listen to you. But if you start preaching Jesus Christ as the Bible presents him, they're not willing to accommodate you or tolerate you. You see, Peter and John did not adapt Christianity to their culture. Nor did they attempt to try to change culture to Christianity. Their goal, and what ought to be our goal, was to transform individuals by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. We have a lot of religious institutions today that want to Christianize our culture. It's not going to work. Our commission given to us is to go to all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, individual decisions, individually baptizing them as they show their public testimony of obedience to Christ. You see, Peter and John saw two kingdoms at work that that can't overlap. And they work from that premise. Scripture confirms that the truth, and, and as believers, there's a certain way we ought to live in light of that truth. As you look at the religious culture today, and, and, you know, again, this is pretty broad, but churches are looking for pastors who follow a business model. It doesn't matter what he believes. As long as he can handle this large congregation and make proper business decisions, 
we see the church embracing causes that are clearly spelled out as sin in Scripture. The abortion issue, LGBTQ and whatever else goes with that. The, the gender confusion we see today. And churches are adapting to that and adopting to that under the banner of love and acceptance and tolerance. Now, I'm not saying we don't minister to these people, but we do so from the basis of this book and we give them the truth as we have it here in the Word of God. Truth that is absolute because our sovereign God has given us what we need. As Christ prayed in John 17, verse 17, your word is truth. He didn't say it's just a good idea. He didn't say there are some good things for the current group of men here in this culture. But, you know, in uh, 2021, 2022, and 2023, this truth is not going to work. We may have to adapt it a little bit. He doesn't pray that. He makes a statement. Your word is truth. And I think at times we as God's people need to remember that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for the Lord's own possession, so that, why are we all of those things? So that we may proclaim the excellence of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are words Peter wrote later on in his life in challenging the church. He still believed the same thing. His word with truth that we were his people, we're different from the world, and we're to be out there doing what God wants us to do, not trying to make Christianity accepted to a culture that's never going to accept it. Because the spiritual mind, the, the carnal mind cannot perceive spiritual truths. The apostles were not embraced by their culture. They were in a society that hated them enough to put them to death. Read some of the books of martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read about the death of the apostles. It was because they were not willing to adapt to the culture. In that day, the Sanhedrin was the key governing body of their culture. Those 70 men overseen by the high priest, they had political clout with the Roman government. This was the same group who brought charges against Jesus Christ and had him put to death. And they were afraid that these followers of Christ would cause trouble. So how did Peter and John respond well they were deemed they were declared by the Sanhedrin as unlearned and untrained men interesting words and I know a lot of times this has been preached well they were uneducated the Sanhedrin was and all that and that's true but there's also to that word unlearned a a little different twist not only was it the fact that you were not educated like we were you are nonconformists. You are not willing to sit under us and learn our teaching because you say you have another truth. And that would be true of Peter and John. They were nonconformists. 
after all, I mean, think about people, if you hear the argument, well, they were just, you know, ignorant fishermen. Remember, they wrote the epistle of John or the gospel of John, three epistles of John, the book of Revelation and first and second Peter. Now, they wrote it under the inspiration of the Spirit, but the Spirit of God used their mental abilities to communicate to their culture. These were not illiterate men, but they weren't willing to conform to what the culture wanted them to reform to. The Sanhedrin were disturbed by the similarities between Jesus' teaching and their teaching. And basically, they're accused of being nonconformists. The council could not believe that Peter and John could stand unintimidated in their presence and talk to them and still stand boldly on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. Folks, is our world any different? No, it's not. And it hasn't changed. And as we stand boldly before the educated of the world and claim the Bible as truth, we are labeled as narrow-minded, unintellectual people. And a lot of times we back down and that's too bad. And being religious fanatics and holding on to the absolute truths presented to us about Jesus Christ in the Bible is this culture's unforgivable sin. It's something that these tolerant people cannot tolerate. Our greatest sin in our culture is that we, as God's people, have the audacity to claim that we know and have the truth. Peter writes again in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let's stop right there. What does that leave out? Does that leave out anything? All things for life and godliness? Do we believe it's true? Not by the way we act sometimes. Not by the way we stand before the criticism of the world sometimes. We don't believe that's true. And all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God provides all we need to face the intellectual challenges we are facing today. That's what that verse reminds us of. Jesus declared it. God, your word is truth. Peter after all that he experienced in his life, beginning in the book of Acts, through when he wrote these epistles as an old man, 
still held on to the truth. Hey, folks, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness, whether it's first century culture or 21st century culture. My purpose tonight is I just want to encourage you in the culture in which we live to not be afraid to stand for truth. To not be afraid to go to a school board meeting and be willing to stand for the truth of Scripture while they try to do everything else against that. We need to be willing to stand in the workplace as diversity and, ex- and all of this stuff is, is basically crammed down our throats. Now, we still need to be nice to people. We still need to love people, but we need to stand for the truth. And we can't excuse not doing it based on the fierce opposition of our culture. Because we have just in this one section of Acts chapter 4, you read the whole chapter and there's a lot more things they set as an example for us in standing with truth in a culture that opposes us that we could learn from. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you in the day in which we live. We have the truth. And we can believe the truth. And we don't have to accommodate this truth to our culture to be used of God. Peter and John didn't. They stood firmly on the word of God. And if the world chose not to listen to them, that wasn't on Peter and John. They're going to be able to stand before God someday and say, we preached your word. We did what you said. And there are going to be, unfortunately, some that are going to stand before us and say, well, Lord, we didn't realize that if we gave in in this area that we would open this floodgate. That if we tried to accommodate in this area, we would run into all of these other issues. Lord, we just didn't know that they neutralized our effect and our power because we abandoned your truth. Let's don't be those guys, okay? Let's stand on the truth of the word of God. It's tough. That's one of the reasons we have local churches to meet in. Because we can pray for one another. And we can encourage one another. We can go with people to some of these groups that are meeting, making decisions that are going to impact us all and stand with them. One voice, you know, but if you got five, six, seven voices, that's a difference. Well, there's more than one person that believes like this? Yeah, there are. And we just see it in so many areas where the church is just backed away from truth, trying to accommodate a culture that will not be accommodated by truths of the word of God. Let me challenge you. As I'm challenging myself, because I'm, I'm still in the workforce, and, and you know, I, we get diversity training and stuff, and I, I want to raise my hand and say, okay, what about an old white guy? You know, there's no 
group at work for me. They've done away with most of the holidays that, you know, either presidents have or Columbus Day. Those don't fit corporate culture in a lot of cultures anymore. And I'm not going to say anymore, but we face it every day. And I, I am struggling to figure out how to stand for the truth and do it graciously and lovingly. And I'm finding sometimes I'm not alone as I ask questions and try to make lovingly points, but points based on the truth of the word. And I'm sure you face the same things where you go and do things. Let's stand together for the truth of the word of God. That's my, that's my challenge. That's my thoughts, what God has been trying to teach me, what some of the things I've been reading recently have challenged me to consider and do as we live for Jesus Christ in this culture, which God in his sovereign, eternal decision put us in. And equipped us to handle if we'll follow the truth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can come up here if you want to. Okay. Leave that mic hot, hot please. Um, a couple examples that happened in my life. Okay. Um, when I was working on my undergrad degree in a secular college, and they, we had uh, take American uh, history, or was uh, about politics. And the young, the, the first day, professor came in. He was actually a substitute. He was about yay tall with a long beard, and he thought he was very smart. And he said, "Now, why do we have politics?" We agreed we have politics because we have conflict. And I said, and he said, "Why do we have conflict?" And I raised my hand, I said, because we're sinners. And you could have heard a pin drop. And, and oh, we're sinners, is that right? I said, yes, sir. The Bible says that, that Adam and Eve sinned, and that sin was passed on to all men. And so we are sinners, too. And he said, well, are you one of these uh, uh, evangelicals? Or you? I said, I said, you can say that. I believe in the, in the Bible, and I believe what God said is the truth. And he had to go, for, go from there to something else. But several of the students came up after class and said they really appreciate what I said. Another time, I was talking about to my professor at Drake, and I mentioned, excuse me, mentioned something about God, and he just laughed. He just laughed in my face. I was the only student in the class, by the way. And also... Um, when I came back from Germany the, the second time, I was thinking about going to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. At that time, liberalism had crept into the Southern Baptist uh, universities. And uh, I, Janice and I went there and we spoke to the uh, Dean of Students and someone else, I can't remember. And I, he said, so what, what's your background? I said, well, um, I'm a, a, a a God-fearing man who believes in the Bible. He says, well, you know, the Bible, some people believe that the Bible is inerrant. And I said, 
That's right. They didn't think that the Bible was inerrant. So at the end of that hour, I said, well, appreciate your time, gentlemen, but I don't think I'll be going to school here. Those are just events that happened. And this was a, a Baptist theological seminary. Fortunately, they kind of cleaned up their act in the last several years and gone back to the Word. I could share some as well, but I won't. Anyway, hopefully, just folks, let's stand for the truth. Prayer request tonight. Let's continue to pray for a pastor. And, uh, I think this is the conference action.